Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. Cynthia Hyatt is a Christian psychotherapist specializing in trauma therapy, couples, relationships, and personal development. She is passionate about your life and is here to encourage, teach, and inspire you to be your own best version. Find her online at CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T dot com. Now, with today's fresh insights, Cynthia Hyatt. Well, welcome to the show. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, your host. Thank you for listening to Conversations with Cynthia. And if this is your first time, uh, we so are glad you are with us today. And want to make sure that you can hear all the shows in their entirety on the website, on my website at CynthiaHyatt.com. You can also go to the 1360 KPXQ Faith Talk Radio website and just click on me as you look through the hosts, and it'll take you right to all the shows as well. So we're really working on this whole idea of having the best Christmas that we could have. And we talked some about Thanksgiving. We talked about, then we were talking about surviving family holidays. And I really want you to do better than just survive them. I want you to actually thrive in them. And we left off last week really talking about the difference between traditions and rituals and why traditions in families are so important. And so there are some rituals and some traditions that you may want to address. You may want to say, you know what, instead of adding some, let's just take out some. Because, you know, there are some family traditions that get built into the network, into the fabric of the family, and they may not be healthy ones to continue doing. And it may be traditions that we traditionally pick on people. It may be that we traditionally play jokes on people or traditionally bring out all the dirty laundry and rehash it over the years past and kind of throw people under the bus. So those types of traditions that may feel very familiar, which gives us this false sense of closeness, because it does feel very familiar and reminiscent, doesn't necessarily build up or shore up the family system, as well as it's not great examples for the people that are growing up and that will go on to have their own families at some point. So we want to be careful about traditions. We want to realize that traditions take place throughout the year, but especially during holiday times, and they kind of stick in our memories. And research shows that traditions are important in building family relationships and between generations. They give us somewhere to maybe call center. They kind of, they give us a reference point where we compare and contrast the world to our family. And we say, you know, that's not what our family was like, or wow, I wish our family were that way. And so traditions and rituals are also a part of identity. As you, you know, if you've gone to college or high school, junior high, any of these, there's some rituals that those organizations have. Different sororities and fraternities have rituals and traditions. And they may seem really weird to the outsiders, but they really solidify and bond the insiders. So traditions may be stories, beliefs, maybe customs that we pass down from one generation to the next. And keeping those traditions really help children and the things that their family values and learning that. 
one of the things we see when we look at highly dysfunctional families, there's always a thread that we have a, you know, a, a gentleman that maybe he's in his 50s or 60s and he'd say, you know, my mom would kill me if she knew I did this. And there's a family bond there. There's an idea that, hey, this isn't acceptable in our family. And so traditions help to reinforce what defines us, either as a family and also defines us individually, where we figure out, hey, is that the kind of person I am? And maybe, unfortunately, sometimes there are things about our families that we don't want to take with us. And one of the nice things about growing up and creating our own family or our family of choice, if we are not married, don't have children, we have a family that we've chosen, you know, we may want to say, you know, I don't want to bring that into this family. And I want to do things differently. And I want to start a new tradition. I want to start new rituals. And so traditions at the same time, when they are done well and they are healthy, bring security to young people, but also security to elders. Because it provides a sense of continuity. And it's a, it's a routine that we can depend on year after year. Even if the world is going crazy, we can depend on those traditions to continue to occur. And these activities also help promote really healthy relationships between generations, especially when they're enjoyed and anticipated by everyone. It helps us tie together all those generations, reminds us of the past, helps us look forward into the future. And children really remember the special experiences that their family traditions brought them, whether it be toys or gifts or behaviors or stories, different foods that they ate. Maybe some families play football every Thanksgiving, or some families play football every Christmas. Some families play cards on Christmas. Some families do puzzles or other games. So these are important things that you want to do. You want to make these traditions memorable, and you want to take time to talk about those special things your family does and why it's important. You know, one of the greatest family traditions that, that any family can use is on especially Christmas and especially Thanksgiving, before the prayer is said, that everyone goes around and says one or two things that they are very thankful for. And it's very encouraging to the rest of the family to hear these things. And it's reinforcing of the positives. And we're going to talk more about why positivity and, and that kind of mental attitude and spiritual set is so important as we go into the holidays. So traditions really help, and they have an incredibly powerful effect. And this is why it's so important that when we introduce new traditions, that we make sure every family member feels a part of that family. And it helps new family members to feel a part of the family. And that their identity is a valuable piece, which really goes to defining this family that we all share. And traditions and contributing a tradition helps family members really take responsibility for the family, that they own the family. And I don't mean own in an ugly, horrible, possessive manner. I mean that this I participate, which means I'm committed, and I'm owning what I do, and I'm owning my investment in it. And I'm not just going to be the outsider that criticizes. 
So it also helps us manage feelings of loneliness and rejection from the outside world and from society. And it makes individuals with a strong self-concept, it makes individuals have increased self-responsibility and self-policing, which is super important. And we've talked about that on this show at length. That why aren't I policing myself? Why am I reverting back to a younger version of myself and requiring that my brothers or sisters or parents address my behavior in this setting when I'm a grown adult? Why aren't I showing up as a grown-up to this particular event? So when we look at this, there are some things that we can do that help to create traditions. And, and there are questions. These are very helpful when you're getting to know new people in your family or you're getting to know the people in your family maybe you haven't talked to very much that year. And so ask Ask family members as you're sitting around the table, and and the reason I'm going to give you some of these questions is many times it's helpful to guide the conversation, especially if you have a mixture of people that might not share all the same value system. It's helpful just to get to know people in a very non-judgmental way, that we're not trying to decide what's right or wrong, but we're at least guiding the conversation so that people participate and we stay away from hot topics that have not ever yet been worked out, and certainly Christmas dinner and Christmas Day is not the time to work on family issues. So here's like about 10 questions that you can ask your family. This is really helpful when we're doing this on a generational level. Ask them what their favorite songs are, favorite books, favorite movies when you were young. It's very helpful for young, young people to hear the movies, the books, the songs that we grew up with and why they were meaningful to us, why were they, they were helpful. Ask people, what were your hobbies when you were young or when you were a teen? And are they the same now? Did that hobby come with you or did you get a new one? And when you really engaging these questions and you're more open-minded, you're just getting to know someone instead of coming in with a preconceived notion of judgment, of just saying, what if I just pretended like I'd never met this person and I'm going to get to know them for the first time? So ask each other, you know, describe your childhood home. Now, I'm not always saying that you want to describe the content or the tone because when we ask people what your childhood is like, We kind of put them in a quandary. They either have to exaggerate and make it better than it was, or it takes the conversation maybe in a direction that's uncomfortable. Where do we really want to talk about that and then fight about it when everybody starts disagreeing on that really didn't happen that way, or you always feel that way, or why do you have to bring that up again, or any of these types of things. So when we're talking about childhood, let's talk about things outside the family, unless it's positive like a positive event. You had a good picnic one year. You had a wonderful camping trip sometime. Whatever those positive memories are help to bolster up the family. Because remember, we're not pretending that the family is leave it to beaver. But what we do want to do is have some positivity. And the healing often comes from people just having a good experience of one another. It doesn't mean we worked anything out. 
But the more positive our experience is, the more gracious we are going to be if we do need to work out some things and some offenses. So ask, you know, ask your parents, why did you name me what you named me? What did you do for fun when you were a kid? Tell people how you met your spouse again. Tell that story. Talk about what, what made you the happiest when you were growing up. And this is a really fun one. How has the world changed since you've been a child? What's different? And it's amazing. I talk to some of my younger clients in my office, and I say, yeah, back in the 1900s, right? Because I can say that because I lived in the 1900s. So join me again in this next segment while we talk more about really making that day a very special day. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me on the other side, and we'll talk more soon. Well, welcome back. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, your host, and you are listening to Conversations with Cynthia. Thank you so much for joining all of us as we are really looking at ushering in Christmas and soon a brand new year. So Christmas is a very special time in so many ways. And those of us who are practicing Christians and believe or or adhere to that faith, even if we're not going every Sunday, really know how powerful this time of year is and how very special it is. So I want you to think about, as we talked in the last segment, about building those family traditions. And that family traditions really don't have to make sense to anybody other than the family, okay? You don't have to justify them. The only time I would ask you to justify a tradition is if it were harmful, if it were not positive, if it didn't leave people better than the way they came. So let's talk about the greatest gift that you could ever give. And that is gratitude. That's being thankful. It's just like Jesus. It's free. Gratitude is free. But it really has a big bang for the buck. So when you think about generosity, I want you to ask yourself if you're a generous person. And a lot of times when we think about being generous, we always put it into monetary, a, a monetary equation. And what I want you to understand is Jesus really had very little money. But he was so generous. Because what was he generous with? His time, his love, his attention, his patience, his gratefulness, right? His presence. And he gave it free. And then, obviously, he gave the greatest gift for free, And that was his life. So I don't want you to get bogged down this Christmas on money and making sure that somebody feels valued because you spent a ton of money on them. See, it doesn't last. But what does last is the experience that you give a person. That's why Jesus, being gone now for 2,000 years or more, whatever, more or less, He's still just as poignant as if he were alive today. That gift keeps giving because that is the gift of life, of joy, of peace, of honesty, of acceptance, of gratefulness. He's grateful for you. He's grateful for your love for him. 
because it has nothing to do with whether you're perfect or not. So when we're grateful for someone, grateful for their life, it doesn't mean I'm grateful for every single thing that they do or everything that they're going to do or everything they've said or thought. It means I'm grateful for their life. So ask yourself, are you generous with your words? Are you generous with your emotions? That you're willing to be there with someone for a couple of moments and have a poignant moment. Be tearful with somebody. Laugh hard with somebody. Be mad with somebody. Be hurt with somebody. Are you willing to be accepting, even if what they have done is not necessarily acceptable? Are you generous with your acceptance? Because I tell clients every day, and myself, when I accept people, acceptance does not mean agreement. I can accept all kinds of things I don't agree with because I want to accept the person. So we put our faith in God and then we love his people. We don't put our faith in people and then love God. So you want to remember nothing's, nothing's impossible. The problem is God does things his ways, not our ways. And so if we look to God to do it our way and what we want and what makes sense to us, then it really does become impossible for God to please us, to help us, to support us. So we want to love generously. And I want you to know that liking somebody is a preference. Love is a mandate. God has told us to love his children, to love others as you would want to be loved. And so this is a mandate. Liking somebody, that, that, you know what? Sometimes that's a choice, not always, not very often. I, I love there a lot of people. I don't always like a lot of people, but I can love someone and not like them at the same time. Because not everybody, to me, is, is similar or likable or like me. I don't maybe have enough in common Maybe we have very different temperaments, very different personalities. Maybe we have very different styles and tastes. And so I can still love them deeply, but not necessarily always like everything about them. So I want you to think about how important love is and why this holiday can be so painful for so many people. It really shows the epidemic of loneliness that we have in our world and in our country. With all the social media, with all the access that we have, we have this deep-seated experience of loneliness. And we have a huge fear of rejection and judgment. So I say this to you so that you go to these events in Christmas. You go to these family events as well. Not looking through your eyes, but looking through the eyes of a compassionate witness that says, you know, if life is hard for me, it's hard for them too. May not be hard in the same ways, but they're just as afraid of rejection. They're just as afraid and worried to be judged as I am. They probably struggle with loneliness like I might struggle with loneliness. So we want to really look at this antidote that God has given us for all those feelings. And that is being generous 
with our thankfulness, our encouragement, and our acceptance. That we're generous with those things. So don't minimize what you have. Don't minimize what you have to give. What you have to give is a smile, a hug, a thank you. You also have the gift of forgiveness. That's worth a million bucks or more. So you can give forgiveness. And and listen, forgiveness doesn't always mean reconciliation. I have forgiven many people that I have not necessarily reconciled with. We may not ever be friends again because of the damage that was done. But I have no ill will toward them. And if I were to see them, I, I would be able to say hello to them. But the relationship was damaged to the degree that it probably will not be reconstructed. But I can give them the gift of forgiveness as well as myself so that we are free. So that I don't hinder that person's walk with God because I'm withholding forgiveness. See, many times we're afraid to forgive because we think we're then going to be committed to relationship and closeness. Relationship, closeness, and intimacy is always a choice. It's always a choice. But the love that God has given you as a gift, freely given you, is what he is commanding us to give to the world. So this is where it's so very, very important that you want to make things right between you and God first, between you and yourself. Then you can make things right with others if they'll let you. Sometimes they won't. But you can do your side of the street right. That's one of the most powerful things you can bring to the holidays is freedom. Is you being okay with you and you being okay with others, even if you don't like half or more of what they do. It's really not your problem. They really are God's problem. And we can love the unlovable. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in the next half hour as we really talk more about this idea of generosity and that beautiful gift you have. Well, welcome back. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, your host, and you are listening to Conversations with Cynthia. So thank you for joining me. And if you are just tuning in, I always want to remind you to check out all the social media that we have. And we love all your comments and suggestions. And anytime you want me to speak about something or do a show on a particular topic or you think you have a good guest that would be helpful for all of us, you know, you and all the listeners, then please make sure that you email me at CynthiaHyatt at gmail.com. I would love to know any input that you have, guests you might, show ideas, these types of things, so that the show is really made for you and what you need. So we are talking about the best gift ever. And the gift that you have to give that is free to you and you can give freely to others. And it is the one that does keep on giving. And that is the gift of generosity. And generosity added with thankfulness. Because this is a quality of our creator, of God. He's generous, he's kind, he's gracious. And so we want to think about this idea that what has happened in our society, we are thankless. We are without courtesy in so many ways. That is in some ways becoming a lost art. And some of that is because of political and social correctness, that we don't open doors for people, we don't even look at people, we act as if they aren't even there. And we've lost some of that graciousness 
of saying thankful, of being grateful to people in our lives, even if we're not always grateful for everything that they do. So you might want to think about maybe a possible new, new tradition. And if it's not a new tradition, maybe just shoring up the tradition of gratitude. Being thankful and gracious. Grateful for things, thankful for things. And we want to really consider this, this idea that generosity leads to thankfulness. And thankfulness, thankfulness leads back to generosity. It really is this cycle, a self-perpetuating cycle, that when I'm generous, I'm thankful, and when I'm thankful, I am also more generous. And so let's look at Luke chapter 14. This is verses, um, actually two, two and five most importantly, but verses from one to five, and it says, and the people were watching him closely. There were no unintentional movements in the life of Jesus. Can you imagine? I mean, really, I'm asking you, can you imagine being that intentional? He was being watched. Think about he's professing to be a Christian. And if you are professing to be a Christian, imagine what it would be like to be watched closely all the time. So there was no unintentional movements in the life of Jesus. And the Pharisees were known for being judgmental, prejudiced, harming and exploiting women. And he took that moment to be different and to show a new way. And he wants us to have our name be synonymous with thankfulness, with graciousness, not pharisaicism and being pharisaical or, or sadduceism and being sadduceical. So the Pharisees were so bad and not unique that the word became a way to describe people. Can you imagine that if people said, Oh, that's a Cynthia way to do things. Well, if they did, I hope it would be positive. Well, the, the Pharisees created a whole new way to use the word. It's a description of judgmental, withholding behavior. Looking down on somebody. Dismissing people. Ignoring them. Being unkind. So think about this. What does your name describe? I want it to describe a person of graciousness and thankfulness. That we want to really think about why would God want us to be grateful and thankful people? What would that be doing for us? And we've talked in other shows about the power of positive thinking on the brain and what it does for the brain when we think positively. How much more resiliency we have emotionally when we are grateful. How much better we buffet what's going on in the world, the disappointments, the insults, the letdown, the fear. When we are gracious to others and generous with our thanks to others, we are much better able to manage how difficult this world may be. So I want you to think about, how can I be grateful this Christmas? How can I be grateful at these events I'm going to? How can I be gracious? How can I be uplifting? And not focus on the things that aren't right or the things that aren't working. Because we all know these events are not the time to work on things. So we want to be very careful as we go to all these different events, family and non-family, what our attitude is. 
So join me in the next segment as we finish this idea of generosity and gratefulness, thankfulness, greatest gift you have to give. Welcome back. You are listening to Conversations with Cynthia, and I'm your host, Cynthia Hyatt. Thank you for joining me today, and I'm praying that your holiday times are going to be healing and restorative and inspiring and motivating. And if they're painful and difficult, that you find a way to hear the voice of God in the midst of all of that pain, and that you find that bright spot of love that he has for you, and that it's not over. And that when when this is all over and we join him in glory, we are going to have an amazing eternity. And many times for a lot of us, it makes it difficult to even think that's helpful. You know, when it's so painful here, when it's so such a struggle and we have people that maybe mistreat us, speak against us, steal from us, lie to us. Maybe we're lonely, whatever the case may be, what we're talking about today is being grateful and why God would instruct us to be grateful. And one of the things I want you to really rest in and know is that God knows his humans and God loves his humans. And God knows how he created all of us. He knows the machine of man. So he knows what works and what doesn't. And he knows that negative thinking, complaining, groaning, moaning, commiserating, going down the list of everything that's wrong, rehashing all those things. He knows that's like putting sand in the gas tank. And that's really important to understand that it bogs everything down. It makes everything seize up when we do this in our psyche. And then it affects our overall body because it increases adrenaline, which is a very very powerful drug for our body to try to absorb when we're upset all the time. We also then see the world as a more dangerous place and we are locked and loaded or we are tensed and ready for the next hit. I don't want you to go to these events that you're going to over Christmas, whether it be work or family or friends or church, whatever it is, already bracing yourself for how you know so-and-so is going to, well, that's what they always say to me. They never say hi to me. They always overlook me. They make fun of me. They tease me. Whatever the case may be, what you want to do is you want to say, God, these people really truly are your problem. I am the only problem I have is me. And that's the one that he wants me to focus on. How can I go and be different? How can I go to these events and be the best version of me? See, why would God ask us to be grateful. Why would we just not necessarily automatically be it? Well, gratitude, graciousness, being a thankful person, these are disciplines. This is a discipline of our mind, our will, and our nature because we are hardwired to complain. We are hardwired to lament, bemoan, commiserate regarding whatever circumstance that we're experiencing. And interestingly enough, this is one of the easiest ways to forge a moment of intimacy. The problem is when you complain with somebody, it feels good in the moment, but it doesn't last when you walk away. You don't feel better. Now, that doesn't mean we aren't to truly 
have sympathy for one another and let ourselves bear our hearts. But we don't want to make a habit of that's the only way we know how to connect with people is to complain. So even if we win the lottery, guess what? We complain about how many, how many taxes we're going to have to pay and how many quote-unquote new friends we might have. So the lead of Jesus was to thank his father daily and eventually to even be thankful for the quote-unquote cup that would not pass from his life. Imagine what our lives would be like if we had a complaining Christ, a bitter Jesus so Colossians chapter three seventeen says, In whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So there's always something to be thankful for. And it's a blessing when you do this with people. You change the tone and the experience of their life for whatever moments you spend with them. And this one, I love this. This is Romans uh, chapter 121. It says, for although they knew God, this is important. Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. See, even if we know God, if we don't honor him and we don't give thanks to him, we become futile in our thinking. Our hearts start to darken and harden. And then guess what? Everything we experience feels worse. Right? Think about if, if you've ever gotten like your, your hands or feet or whatever frozen in the snow. You went and played in the snow and how painful it was just for someone to touch your frozen hands. And then it was really painful to thaw out. But as soon as it was thawed out, the warmth of the blood flowing through your veins. Think of how nimble your fingers became and how much you enjoyed shaking the hand of somebody. So this is what we want to think about. We don't want to let darkness and hardness enter into our lives because we focus on the negatives, because we focus on all the things that are wrong. And we have a lot wrong in our world today, as we always have. And that's important to remind ourselves because our brain wants to tell us, remember our mind is fallen, our mind is at enmity with God. It wants to tell us that it should be, could be, would be, ought to be some other way. Instead of saying, God is the way. He says, I am the way. I'm not going to make a way for you all to do whatever you need to do. I am the way through all of this mayhem. So let's think about this. The evidence of thankfulness, all right, this is what happens. He, this, this one particular doctor, I like her. She is um, Dr. Sonia Liboum. I always forget. I do not say her last name right. Libomersky, Libomersky. And she really is a happiness expert. And she really talks about the fact that about 50% of humans... 50% of the, our propensity for happiness is kind of a genetic set point. And it's something that we don't really have any influence over. But 10% is based on our life experiences. And 40% of our happiness quotient is intentional activity that we can influence with our own behavior. 
So it means that up to 40% of our life, we can be happier. We can make 40% happiness. We're given about 50%. Life circumstances give us another 10, that's 60. So a lot of us live with just the set point and whatever life brings us as to where our happiness quotient lies. Where the research is showing that you can add another 40% just by your choices and your own behaviors and practicing gratitude. And so there's incredible, amazing scientific proof about what happiness does and how it helps you. So let me tell you a couple things that happiness does. And now always remember that the happiness isn't just happenstance. Happiness is always brought about with graciousness, gratefulness, and thankfulness. That's the way you find happiness. Thankfulness, graciousness, doing gracious things for people, being gracious with them, grateful for them, grateful for what you've gotten, and thanking people appropriately. That's the happiness quotient we have control over. And that's amazing. Because when you do this, what happens is you end up savoring the positive of life experiences. So how do we do that? How do we boost our our happiness grateful quotient? Well, we don't just sail through a wonderful moment. We savor it. We catalog it. We remember it and we talk about it again and again and again. My husband and I love to tell people the story of how we dated. We love to tell people how we met how we ended up getting married, how he asked me, how he proposed to me. We love these stories. We tell them to each other all the time. We remember so many things. And it boosts the bonding and happiness quotient in our relationship. When you are grateful and thankful, you have higher self-worth. You have a stronger self-esteem. It helps us cope with stress and trauma much better. See, the more happy we happiness we bring through choice the more flexible we are psychologically emotionally physically cognitively so that the stressors and hardships of life we we buffet them better we manage them better they don't take us down as far and as deeply and leave us down there and so it it really helps us to do caring acts it helps us to be moral people It helps us to be people with greater character when we are practicing that gratefulness, gratitude, and happiness, and really being thankful to people. So it builds our social bonds, and it strengthens all of our existing relationships, and it nurtures new relationships. I mean, how many times have you thought to yourself, wow, I hope that person you know, walks by my office today. They're always so happy. I always feel so much better with them. They're They're always so nice. And see, it's contagious. And so the experience you give people will come back to you. And and all the lonely people that we know and the lonely times that we have had, you have to understand that gratefulness, thankfulness, and graciousness help the social connections. And it helps with heart disease. Because loneliness and negativity directly correspond with heart disease. 
Now, it's not necessarily the number one cause. I'm not saying that it is. But what I'm saying is that the heart gets sick. It hurts when we allow ourselves to be negative. And so when we're grateful and thankful, it inhibits these terribly harmful comparisons that we do that steal everything from us down to our own self-worth. When we compare ourselves to other people and to the world, and we always walk around in a one-down position, that's when we're going to get that negativity and that inability to manage the hardships of life. When we practice these, this gratefulness, it helps us with anger and bitterness and greed. And it also helps us to thwart hedonistic behaviors. Like I said, we're more moral in our lifestyle and we have greater character. So I want you to really give this gift of gratitude, of thankfulness, and make this a habit that you practice throughout the year. That you're a gracious person, not, not Pollyanna. I don't pretend like things aren't the way that they are. I don't, I don't sugarcoat things. But I know there's a lot of really good things that are also happening. One of them is that I'm able to do this show and you're able to hear it. That I have a great producer, Jeremy, that shows up every single time I'm here and he makes a great show for me. And so th- we have so many things just right in front of us to be happy for. A car that gets us somewhere. And if not, a friend that helps us out. Whatever it may be, it takes discipline to go against our sin nature, which is negative, and to resist the enemy as he accuses us and trash talks us. And it takes energy and it takes strength. But the thing that you will find is it is strengthening an emotional muscle. The more you practice it, the stronger it gets and the easier it is to do and the better you withstand And you will be a blessing and a gift to those around you at Christmas time, and especially to your Lord. So I pray this for you in the name of Jesus. Have a blessed week. I'll talk to you next week. More about family and holidays, the best gift ever. To hear today's program again or to share it with someone else, please go online, CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. Follow Cynthia on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Cynthia Hyatt. Until next time, remember, be your own best version. Yeah.